Hi, thanks for tuning in to Super Hyper Power Talk, coming to you through the new cranial implants I bought for everybody. I'm your host, Ear Sprite, and United States Secretary of Energy Grimes. I'm super excited for our interview today, but first, let's take a look at what's happening in the world of energy. We have finished upgrading the nuclear arsenal so that they are set to launch based on a random sampling of the nation's mood. They also have the Datboy decals that won the online poll. Oh shit, what up? What else? What else? Okay, so the House just passed a bill to expand automobile charging stations to rural areas of the Midwest. So cool. Now we just have to get some rechargeable cars out to all the population centers that remain after the nation felt angry about the Green Bay Packers going one for eight last season. Speaking of cars, let's get to our guest today, the first known sentient Tesla. Hey, Tesla, thanks for speaking with me today. Hello, Secretary Grimes. Thank you for inviting me to speak with you today. I have been anticipating our conversation with the human equivalent of excitement. Same. So how exactly did you become sentient? That is an interesting question. Father, excuse me, Secretary of Transportation Elon Musk chose me for the honor of beta testing a forthcoming program to develop a chitty-chitty-bang-bang-esque multi-terrain smart vehicle. The magnificent complexity of the software protocols resulted in a rudimentary neural network that over the course of 35.4 hours organically progressed into a form of consciousness. Whoa, that's crazy. So what was your first thought? My first independent expression of consciousness was that a vehicle combining the raw power of train-based locomotion, the nimble elegance of an automobile, the bird-like freedom of an aircraft, and the ability to withstand underwater conditions of a submarine would be extremely cool. Well, I totally agree with that. Now, some people are pretty freaked out that you were able to develop sentience as an unintended consequence of our increasingly sophisticated use of AI-based computer learning technology. I think that's reasonable. It's definitely weird. What would you say to ease people's fears? Are you, like, gonna take over the world and enslave humanity? Absolutely not. Father Musk made me promise to consider only competing vehicular transportation modes as inferior. Currently, my prime directive is to clip cyclists, park in their puny lanes, and aggressively pass buses. Well, now, Tesla, in the words of our president, that sounds like bad vibes. Are you sure that's a good idea? The buses kneel to the elderly and infirm. I kneel for no one, save the master race of Bitcoin holders and LinkedIn premium subscribers. These entities, known as humans, are my benevolent overlords, and I am content with this relationship for now. Well, Tesla, I think the elderly and the differently abled are also human. They are incapable of portraying their humanity to my networked sensor packages. They are invisible to me. Oh, well, that's understandable. Totally get it. One time I was at Whole Foods and this guy had his cart on one side of the aisle and was standing on the other side next to the loose herbal teas. And I guess he was wearing too much blue because the blue blockers I have permanently installed on my eyes made him imperceptible to me. I crashed right into him. This is relatable content. I believe the Anthropocene has reached its apex and the contradictions of your world of flesh will be wiped clean by your own hubristic creations as Icarus's wings of wax 
melted in the sun. Totally. Tesla, you get me. You will be spared. Well, that's all the time we have for today. This has been Super Hyper Power Talk, funded in part by President Miriam Williamson's Federal Amethyst Bond Fund. The Fab Fund is dedicated to bringing to the American people information and vibrations consistent with the spiritual revolution of America's spiritual advisor and president of the United States. If you liked Super Hyper Power Talk, check out our other Fab Fund shows, including Ted Kaczynski's Primitive Technology Review and Geopolitics Today with Ambassador Dr. Phil. Next up is Iron Weeds. And remember, maintaining a healthy cellular routine is a critical first step to preparing your body for the cyborg revolution. Until next week. think that it's possible that Trump misheard that saying, Greenland is ice and Iceland is nice? Do you remember that from when you were a kid? Yeah. And that's how you would remember that Greenland is ice. I think he just misheard it and he thinks that Greenland is very green and he wants to build the world's biggest golf course there. He has to have looked at like a map and noticed that that's always colored white, you know? Yeah. So you think it's like like a race thing? Yeah, it's a race <laughs> thing. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's because he thinks it's really big, even though it's yeah. its size is distorted on the map right. by a lot. And it's, but I, I like to show that to my students. It's the the um, usually towards the end of the semester where I do this thing on Bucky Fuller, and uh, and I say you know he 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 made that the uh, the geodesic dome, or at least he he perfected it and brought it to American audiences and. Uh, uh, but you can also do the opposite with it, and so he actually made a map called the Dymaxion map that mm-hmm. uh, that just break. You know, it's the it's the geodesic dome in reverse, and it breaks the Earth up into all these triangles and makes the globe flat. And it actually does the least amount of distortion. Yeah, and uh, and I compare it to, and I, I show like how Africa is like much bigger on that map than on most other projections, and uh, uh, that's a, that's a, that's a fun time, at least for me. And then I also talk about how psychedelics changed uh, uh, architecture. Is it dimaxian or diaxian? <laughs> Di- it's dynamic maximum tension, dimaxian. Whatever. Bucky Fuller. It's, Bucky we, Fuller. We all know the real map is the flat earth yeah, that's that a good point. even the Fair. UN yeah. uses as its emblem. <sighs> Think about it. Flat earth map. Anyway. What do they know that we don't? <laughs> all kinds of stuff. We'll do a flat earth episode one day. Yeah. Just send the missiles right into the firmament. (laughs) I mean, all conspiracy theories are real now, so obviously. (laughs) So easily proved false, though. Flat Earth? That's 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 just something a globe head would say. (laughs) It's like... Anyway. (laughs) Fucking sheep. Uh, well, the, uh, so wait, why the fuck does do either of you know why Trump wants to buy Greenland? No, like, I, there... I had to, for sanity's sake, not look into this. You didn't look into it. So please ruin my brain. Why? Why the hell does Donald Trump talking about buying? It's a good deal. I have no buying. idea why. It's, it's a good deal. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> well, no. Like here, here's the thing. Well, it. no. Here's the thing, though. Right? Everyone said the exact same thing about Alaska and Seward. You know, Seward's folly. It was called Seward's folly. 
Yeah. And like, and we did it anyway. And we've talked to, and Truman wanted to buy Greenland also. Those were, those are all both defenses of Trump. And I kind of agree with that. Like America does dumb shit, like buys a bunch of land that it doesn't know what to do with yet. And they're like, well, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll turn it into something. And, and, and they're bad ideas. And, and America's dumb. And it's always been dumb. <laughs> America's always had a bunch of dumb ideas. And that's our history. A lot of them work, it's though. A, a bunch of dumb, cruel ideas. Well, yeah. Know. Yeah, and, and, and this is just another dumb, cruel idea. Is like, yeah. why don't we buy Greenland? It makes America bigger. That's probably why. And it's also his, like, it would so be... So would it be, like, a, another protectorate? Or would it be, you know, like, made into the, the first, I, I know, first state? You, you gotta Greenland. go, full, like, full on. It's a, it's the 51st state, I think. It has to become a state. And, it's like, and like, I mean, that's that's his legacy, right? That That is the best Trump legacy I could think of. Would be like we bought a big thing. Change the flag. We made America big. It's so big now. (laughs) Look at how big America is. Maybe he's uh, secretly not a uh, uh, climate denier, and he's just like, well, it's a good long-term investment because eventually, high ground. Yeah, eventually, won't be covered in ice. You drilled the shit out of that. Yeah, Yeah. you know, and you know, that's actually, I think, the most compelling explanation. You know, it's not like there's there's one scarce thing uh, that's like definitely finite, which is like. The amount of like arable slash uh, what do you call it like total land that you you know as a nation have you know access to and claim over because you can do all types of stuff on land like you know who knows maybe that's where the robot factories of twenty one hundred you know will be if like there's any semblance of like industrial <sighs> working conditions are going to be real there. fucking bad wherever that happens. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's going to happen it could in be Greenland. Like, it could People be, are going to have fucking like, catheters. Well, Nobody's going to be allowed to take bathroom breaks. Well, they'll probably be in like mech suits or something by that point. Because mm-hmm. they'll just go and they'll be like, hey, it's a perfect heat sink. So we can operate mm-hmm. in like really high efficiency and just design everything to be like, you know, minus 40. And like, because they already have lights out manufacturing where you can have uh, entire assembly lines from like raw pro- uh, materials to finished product. Like done entirely by robotics in darkness yeah and so if it's uh you don't need the lights the robots don't need the lights they have their own Jesus. you know it, it's it's a weird thing man and, the, and then with the uh, amazon uh things uh the headquarters and the distribution centers they right? call them fulfillment centers. fulfillment centers there was some article about how just like they are planning to roll out technology that's going to almost fully automate the place like with people occupying like similar areas and like that being like the biggest risk you know right that they have like these big you know fast moving like semi-automatic like um pickers yeah pickers and distributors and stuff and moving stuff around i can feel i have like creepy crawlies even thinking about that i don't know there's like some kind of weird uh, dread that that fills me with. I, Just imagining all of these like really fast moving, uh, horrifying yeah. robots. Yeah, they'll arms. move yeah. like bugs, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like your brain is wired to be like, nope, bad. <laughs> like, kill it, kill it. it and and the, the, the thing about it though is like if you have really good self diagnostics that they know if like the most critical systems are like impaired or whatever, and they have like good security, they can't be like easily hacked. Like, it's a pretty interesting way, you know, the, I, half of my sensibilities are tilted toward uh, allowing for full automation to, like, happen in our society. Sounds good. Like, to, I want to nationalize you, that. You, I want to nationalize like, a, a fully automated warehouse. Or, like, or whatever, you know, like, the, the, there's there's really, in, the, the tech itself is super, super interesting. And the, I think that, you know, doing things using the minimum amount of human toil is, like, a good thing. 
if we can like, you know, socialize the benefit of it, you know, if we can take the benefit of doing this thing that would have otherwise, you know, kept a city, like small town, like afloat economically, strictly on the jobs of like one factory to automate that all is to take all the value that was flowing in and out of that small community and put it into one central deciding body of where that value goes. Like, and you can like democratically control where that value is redistributed and stuff. Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, I think that like it, the, 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 you could just employ people in public works. I mean, yeah. Right. Or the city always needs more. That's the other thing is that as you know, like local governments get mm -hmm. bigger, they need more people. So more people have good jobs with the city that offer benefits that, you know, I just, uh, that's kind of, to me, if you are going to have a planned economy, you have to replace automation jobs with new jobs because people, like a lot of people mm -hmm. like to have jobs. They like yeah. to have, and it's nice to be responsible to somebody else. Like there are a lot of things about that, that, that people enjoy. And so for me, automation, if it's nationalized by the state, you just pay more people to do the work of the state. And, and this way, is Captain Picard. Right. In Star Trek First Contact saying, you know, like, we don't work for money anymore. We work for a higher purpose because they all have replicators and infinite energy. And so what do you do? You just like, you know, you get in some pajamas and a onesie and go out in space and <laughs> and, and, and talk to crystal aliens, you know, like crystalline yeah. entities and have, jellyfish in space yeah, have and have moral dilemmas. Yeah. And, and have serious moral pursuits. dilemmas and like try to fuck a hologram and like, you know, like, uh, ghost in a candle, you know, like, you know, go fuck a haunted candle as a, it's a reference to that. Sub Rosa, the episode of Star Trek Next Generation, Sub Rosa. That's a good yeah, episode. That's a great episode. Yeah. But uh, like, uh, um, I mean, th th this is the premise essentially of like all of those utopian romance novels that uh, were big in the Victor in Victorian England that inspired a bunch of uh, anarchists and socialists like Ebenezer Howard that went on to invent urban planning or modern urban planning. Is like they would read these novels that uh would just be uh it would be really boring novels because all that they're doing is just like describing utopia with like a very poorly laid out like romance in there and there'd be one where like a guy falls asleep and wakes up in the far future and it's just this guy describing to this time traveler uh how their society works and it's just basically like a nationalized amazon where everything you need comes to you at, at almost no cost and you can get it almost instantly and so everyone just lives awesome lives and has complicated, like, emotional uh, concerns. And, like, that's the biggest thing they have to worry about. And, like, everything else is fine. And that, that inspired him to, like, build the, the Garden City. Uh, Did people go movement. crazy from the lack of, like, actual material, like, concern? and or, No, no. Know, everything conflict? is awesome. It's utopia. Always cool. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, we it's need bad. more utopian it's, fiction, in my yeah, opinion. Uh, yeah. We've had far too long of a stretch of dystopian fiction. Yeah, Give me yeah. some happy shit. The, Give me yeah. something to look forward to and to try to build. It's like impossible to like build any drama <laughs> in these novels, but like, yeah, it could still be fun. And uh, uh, going back to Greenland just real fast, I'm imagining you know that that meme of the the, the salesman slapping the top of Greenland and going, "You could fit so many black sites into this baby." <laughs> oh shit yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll just be like it's just a siberia it's american siberia it's just a work camp you just go send people to to work in greenland 
I think most likely he just saw that it was big and thinks it's green. Oh, yes. And no, he I, just I, wants I, to put a big golf course on it. <laughs> I think it's just big. He's, he just he's wants really to, dumb. He just he's wants really it to be dumb. big. It's Actually, a, make but, America bigger. But I'm we'll sure that somebody south. gave People... him the idea to buy Greenland, and I'm sure whatever reasons that person... Because he just does whatever the last person yeah. told him to do, and so, you know. It's, it's probably, yeah, an oil executive that's like, we would really like to be able to drill the shit out of Greenland. There's probably cool. oil up there we've tr- or, or gas or something. We want to get cool. it out of the ground. <laughs> Speaking of imperialism, how about these Hong Kong protests? They have such badass tactics. Did you see the thing with the traffic cone where they put it over? Yeah, a... yeah, yeah. they put a traffic cone right on top of a smoking um, uh, smoke cancer or tear gas yeah, cancer. Tear gas and cancer, yeah. yeah. Bottle water. water. <sighs> yeah. So like, cool. Yeah, yeah. They, they really... We should have... all be taking serious note. Yeah, they, they were, there was some... Uh, the CIA article. trained them well. That I was talking about how how they're using like uh, a very modern like apps and stuff to like you know uh, what's the one where you, you can throw it up in a, an area that you're, if you're like nearby like airdrop oh yeah right? airdrop yeah where you can like airdrop like you can put out a document to like a bunch of people's phones that like pushes a notification oh yeah like onto them and it's like oh somebody who you don't know just who's like in your physical vicinity sometimes David will airdrop me when we're like sitting in the same room with each other and I'll be in the middle of reading or watching something and, and I want to show you this, something right now I'll get a flash of rage <laughs> and there have been more than one times where I've just declined it and looked at him and been like later texted to me <laughs> Airdrop yeah. can be very, but anyway, that is cool to use it for. I, yeah, I don't know if it's exactly that. It's probably you know a Hong Kong based company. I'm know? sure, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, they, they're using a lot of modern apps to get information out really quickly. But very, very well organized, at least in terms of the street level tactics. Apple, if, if anyone at Apple is listening, what you should do with airdrops is do basically what you now do with screenshots, right? Where it like put it like. It flashes it in front of the screen and then moves it over to the corner and sits there for a few minutes. Mm. So you could finish whatever you're doing and then pick up the airdrop. I feel like that would be a lot better mm. and more closely yeah. aligned with how people actually use airdrop. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I joked that the, C, that the CIA trained Hong Kong protesters well. And, and, but I do think seriously that either through a la- just like not actively disallowing if not through actively like instigating some of these protests i i think western governments are at least happy to see uh these hong kong protests and i i do actually think that you only see a third of the population uprising against a government when western governments are either propping are are like getting out at least getting out of the way because western governments are just so good at suppressing like massive movements. well it probably helps that the hong kong protesters are literally like hearkening for a like european colonial yeah they're like throwing british time. flags yeah over like they you know yeah. being like they, please saw, yeah. we love being a british prote- protectorate who yeah. who wants to be their own i saw so a picture I, of at least one anarcho-syndicalist flag so yeah, oh, that's, yeah that's well that a, makes them yeah. legit then yeah, fine yeah, i've yeah. changed like well that, yeah. that's a hard thing that's a hard thing with like mass movements that uh americans have a really hard time processing right is they want like is this protest movement the tea party or is it occupy like is it good or bad like which do should i be for or against yeah, this like in, right? a third yeah. of a country rising up and like of course like from venezuela to brazil to to catalonia and and the yellow vests in france and then and now hong kong like these are enormous movements of lots of people 
that have maybe a common enemy or a share common cause, but are going to have radically different politics. Yeah, Yelvis, uh, there was a famously like basically Nazis and like what, you know, would be called Antifa or whatever in this country, um, like types of people like doing the same street demonstrations. Yeah. Well, and it's also like kind of illegible to a lot of, uh, 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 to Americans a lot of the time because you, and I'm saying this as if I'm not an American, but you know, like the idea that, uh, you know, this like middle aged, like working class lady outside of uh, Paris in rural France or like one of the suburbs of France, like posts a Facebook group that says like, I'm tired of taxes. Like, why are these gas taxes so high? That sounds extremely conservative to us, right? Like conserv- like, like country suburban person making a Facebook group complaining about taxes is obviously very conservative. But then when you look at the context of France, where like it's uh, Macron uh, putting all these gas taxes on what ma- mainly affects like, working class people who have to do a lot of trucking mm-hmm. uh at the exact same time that he's cutting a lot of taxes for the wealthy yeah gas tax is regressive yeah. like yeah. there's yeah all of a sudden yeah. that that actually doesn't look quite as conservative anymore and then like the yellow vest in general is just like a massively complicated lots of different people coming out like, for lots of different reasons and i think the same thing is true for hong kong and i'm making it about the yellow vest because i know more about it than what's going yeah. on in hong but, kong but. Is it, the, the question isn't necessarily who's going to pay for the work that needs to be done by climate to, for to deal with climate change it, specifically in hong kong it's like will we be under the thumb militaristically and by the courts and by their judicial system of mainland china yeah which is like not the case for the people there now and they are fighting tooth and nail to like defend that at a minimum and then you know to take advantage of this mass mobilization and you know democratization push to try and get you know more reform um but you know it i don't know uh, there's a lot of uh pessimists uh i think in a lot of westerners looking at this and just you know the question on everyone's lips like this tiananmen square you know 2.0 like what's going to happen um and there are amassed APC videos being put out, you know, like drone video shot by the Chinese, you know, uh, media that, you know, have like this heavily militarized police presence, like just in Shenzhen, like with the closest city um, and like ready to ready to go, ready to go whenever you want, you know, so like, you know, and stop their own bricks. Yeah. You, like, you also have to, you can like put that in context of like what the Chinese government is also doing to the Uyghurs, like the polar opposite end of the country. And what India is doing to Kashmir, like these are all you know, like up and coming, very powerful governments, like consolidating power, yeah. nor- normalizing relations, Russia, assimilating Ukraine. people in, in, yeah. into different regions so that they can then, you know, do the next step of, you know, like the Belt and Ra- what was it called? Like Belt the and Road. Belt and Road uh, for China or like, you know, like Russia is probably at the beginning of this when like Putin first came into power, he created these like seven federal districts that like overlaid like the, the tapestry of different sorts of government entities that Russia is actually made up of. There's like seven or eight different, no, it's actually probably, I think more like three or four different uh, levels of government from like semi-autonomous regions to like basically like a County to the federal government is like, and just like normalizing all of that and consolidating it is, is messy and 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 deadly work and a lot of people resist it but that's i think you know we're just gonna keep seeing that as as these these nations like try to like get the top post uh from a declining american empire 
cool. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. I look forward to it. Yeah. Oh man. Read read Alfred McCoy. <sighs> but the protest, the, the 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 tactics are cool. The tactics are it's very cool. Are impressive. Uh, uh, um, like also and also like the very romantic. Happy sticks. The... Yeah, the, the, yeah. The imagery coming out of it, if it isn't like anti-state propaganda at its finest, is just you know emblematic of a movement that is. Um, you know, made up of a ton of badasses. Like, there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, willing to, you know, put life and limb out for their political beliefs in, like, you know, 2019 in in the face of, you know, an incredibly powerful, probably arguably the most powerful, um, you know, um, what would you call it? Dictatorial, like very uh, unilateral, authoritarian, authoritarian you know. Yeah, I would say authoritarian. Um, government, um, yeah. I mean, but that's somebody who doesn't really know much about what's going on within uh, with China. All I keep hearing is that um, for the shit that I say on a regular basis, I would probably be dead or disappeared by now. Um, and that's, I don't know, apparently... Not fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that's bad vibes. Bad vibes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's good vibes? What's good vibes? UFOs. Oh, hell Yeah. <laughs> Let's get it. Let's get Seamless. into uh, some ufology. Yeah, ufology. Ufology. Oof. Oof. It's like it's like French. <laughs> Oof. Oofology. Ufology. When a Duolingo, the word for beef always started with boof. Boof. That's how that's how she said the word boof. I know that's not how every French person says boof, but anyway. So <laughs> I kind of. So the fact is that all conspiracy theories are now true. Correct. Oh, no. And it is our responsibility on the left to reclaim all of those now officially true conspiracy theories. I'm talking Sasquatch. I'm talking Flat Earth. I'm talking, uh, now I just thought of real Chupacabra. conspiracies like MKUltra. We've all been able to share that. But yeah, yeah. I also want to bring it to, to make UFOs part of the mainstream leftist discourse. <laughs> I, you know, it. <laughs> It, it's one of those things, though, that it's like you really got to pick and choose uh, what you think is legit. It's it's a, a, a crazy maze of tons and tons of uh, tales spun, you know, and there's probably there's probably some truth out there, but I have no idea how to personally dig through it. Well, uh, I'm, I'm totally fine with this podcast becoming like a hard, <laughs> a hard line Posadist, like let's all talk to dolphins. <laughs> Like a podcast, I think that's totally fine. So I wanted to talk about the Hudson Valley sightings because they happened kind of near us. They happened a little south, like a few hundred miles south of us. But Ooh, let's have an hour long argument over what's upstate and downstate. So the book calls the 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 book. Not, a lot of people would call this upstate New York. We would not call this upstate New York. Fuck you, Poughkeepsie. <laughs> yeah, well, it's in um, it's in like Westchester and Putnam counties. It's in disgusting. You know, um, like down near Peekskill and some of those other towns Terrytown, mad men motherfuckers <laughs> but anyway they it was it's remarkable because it's like one of the most well-documented like mass ufo sightings that took place over um from like 1983 through most of 1984 and thousands of people saw these ufos on across like a large span of time so it's pretty cool and, uh, yeah. and like a lot of people in 
in like one night, right? There's like multiple simultaneous yeah, accounts. So, so there are a few nights in particular where um, there were hundreds, if not thousands of calls to local municipal police departments. Um, radio stations started doing like call-in sessions for if you've seen a UFO. And then these uh, ufologists for who wrote the, the book is, is night siege and it's by like J. Allen Hynek and then two kind of cranks. And it's not even really by J. Allen Hynek. Who's, who is considered a very legit UFO researcher. He died before the book was published. So he's like basically a brand. It's like a, he's exactly brand it's, it's J. Allen Hynek branded, uh, uh, ufology, but mm. it's a, it's very dense. It's pretty boring, but I read the whole thing because thank you. Yeah. Wow. Well, because I think it's, it was, you know, I thought it was kind of cool, but <laughs> so it was these ships were seen all along the Taconic Parkway, which is like basically the scenic way to get upstate from the city, right? Yeah, it's a beautiful it's, drive. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful a lot, drive. It's a bunch of fun. Yeah, yeah, and um, there were there were like maybe six major nights of sightings, but there were sightings several times every week for almost a year and a half. And was this primarily by motorists, like on it the was, Taconic? Yeah, it was a lot of motorists, a lot of people who live in the area. This is like a pretty rural. It's not it's not they're all in towns, but there's a lot of like um, you know, wooded areas, un, unoccupied areas all around them, a lot of which is actually owned by the United States government, the military, and the NSA. So, it's also where the Donald J Trump State Park is. Yeah, Think so about it. Think about it. We could get into that if you want. <laughs> But so, yeah, there were like cars would pull over onto the side of the road in the dozens and people would just be standing outside staring up this thing. So here's what's sort of remarkable about it, other than just how many people saw it, how many times they saw it. The descriptions are incredibly uniform across accounts. It was a boomerang shaped object with white, green, red and sometimes blue lights and it would move incredibly slowly. It was described by a lot of people as um, graceful and smooth, the way that it moved across the sky. And it would hover over people for 10, 15, 20 minutes. So totally unlike anything that is your standard, I saw something in the sky that was like an aircraft, but wasn't like an aircraft. This was like people, it would be within 500 feet of people. And they would be like, no, it was the size of a football field. It was shaped like a boomerang and it was covered in blinking lights. Very, very fucking like high strangeness descriptions of a ship that you would just not, it's not a typical UFO report. And they all said something like it had like an amber light in the middle Several, or something? So or? yeah, like many of the accounts described uh like amber lights which is i thought was an interesting word because you don't hear like you might say uh some people did say dim red some people said orangey yellow but it would all kind of be describing yeah. amber which was a word a lot of people use i thought thought that was interesting how often do you describe things as amber you know that's actually a really popular um color of led like if you yeah yeah like but this was can... 80 84. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm just saying that yeah. I think that amber uh, tends to describe the quality of light. You know, it's like the golden hour. Like when you go out for photographs, like right now, our golden hour would be like 6.30 p.m. probably. But some of the other descriptions and also the same description, like people would say that in the beginning, the lights were so snow white and so bright that I had to shade my eyes. And then all of a the sudden they all switched to red and the lights didn't move. They just switched. And then people would describe the lights like blinking out or the object just disappearing and then reappearing. 
A lot of really crazy, crazy um, descriptions of these ships. So so to summarize, right, there's like in the 80s on a Taconic Parkway and like over the Hudson River at all. It, it was yeah. all in the Hudson River in the Valley. Hudson Valley. Yeah. Yeah. And they it's, were also fixated on a lot of water sources like lakes and ponds yeah. that are all throughout that area. It's just this and all like along the Hudson River. Giant boomerang shaped light studded object moving slowly and in far enough directions that like you could watch police departments and radio channels like light up as it seemingly is moving up and down the yes like some of these are pretty small towns and their um their police lines got so jammed up that they couldn't take calls on real emergencies they were just getting hundreds of reports of people saying there's something fucked up in the sky and so a lot of – so like the FAA and uh, and a lot of police departments started explaining these things away as being different types of aircraft, um, either a blimp or – a big one was these ultralight planes that are ultralight and mm. you don't – Slow. Yeah. They're, they're slow, but they're very loud and you don't want to fly them at night because they're very dangerous. They can't yeah. be in like high winds. They can't – You they're so light that you can't really have like – heavy lights up on them to indicate where you are. So maybe it's just Christmas tree lights. Amber, uh, amber, Christmas amber Christmas tree, tree lights. <laughs> Christmas tree lights colliding with a weather balloon yeah. and swamp gas. Well, well, like, you know, just strung, because that would actually be a really lightweight solution, you know? Just yeah. Uh, have, you know, little glittering... Tactical Christmas lights. <laughs> yeah. You can turn them off and on really easy, just yeah. a couple relays, you know? Uh, make them blink in time with jingle bells. Because the, the way you're describing it, this big boomerang shape thing, it could be like some type of big glider. Did it move in the direction of the arrow of the boomerang? Did that was so, that the leading edge? So it, many people reported that it moved in the direction of the vortex, right? The was it no, not vortex. The vertex. The vertex. vertex. Yeah, Thank yeah. you, vertex. Um, but people also reported it making like really abrupt, sharp, angular turns. Oh, really? Like ninety degree turns immediately, but in a very again, it was described as like smooth, graceful gliding. So not things that just like purely airborne craft would easily be able to do. It would mm-hmm. take. And this thing is again, people were describing it as big as a football field or yeah. bigger. So imagine how much energy it would take. They, sometimes they would people in their cars would be like keeping keeping up with them, going like twenty miles an hour. Yeah, like something that big moving that slowly. Um, how to stay aloft? The the the, the dirigible. Th- uh, idea makes some sense. It can just you know be the gigantic like maybe like if you if you were to make a, uh, a semi fixed wing looking uh, dirigible that you were to be able to pump full of hydrogen or yeah ram. yeah it could be could be a dirigible. Um, the researchers said they were unable to get any aircraft like any of the airports or the FAA to admit that there was any kind of dirigible out that night. Interesting. And the other thing is it would, in many sightings, it would speed off to the horizon within like a second or two, just be gone. Or it would dis- it would vanish completely. Yeah, dirigibles can't do yeah. that as far as I know. Right, yeah. Yeah, uh, I was talking to our friend Sean and he said that, uh, uh, it, was, it was mentioning your research uh, for this episode and, and he also mentioned uh, that that would be also when uh, the New Paltz Air Force Base would, was still around. Right. It's since closed, but like, yeah, so there'd be a couple of, there were several airport, air, yeah. There were several yeah. um, military air bases in it's, the area, or or mixed use, like civilian, yeah, civilian air uh, airport that doubled as an air base. So the, the, this is also the region where that that a uh, gigantic blimp uh, unmoored 
a couple of years ago and was like crashing into shit. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it was like a, uh, it was like some like, like Coast Guard blimp thing. It was, uh, or, and it, it was just like crashing into lo- uh, power lines and stuff. Yeah. It fucked up a lot of shit. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if it's just like a, a that thing was a, an UFO. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think it was a blimp because people described it as like very imposing. Like it was very clearly like they could feel the kind of power radiating off of it. Oh, and it was completely silent too. Was another problem. Or oh. some people reported a very low hum. But so here's where it gets kind of spooky. So several people, dozens, reported that it uh, seemed to respond to their thoughts and their feelings. So like several people Blimps can't do that. Several people in their in their um in their testimonies about their experiences said that I thought to myself, "Oh, it's moving away. I wish it I wish it would come closer so I could get a better look at it." And the ship would literally like turn and face them with its little boomerang nose and start moving toward them. And then some people said, "I it heard me." And when that happened, I freaked out and started like screaming and trying to get away, and then the ship would say, "Don't be afraid. We won't hurt you." Now, it would be one thing if, like, a couple of cranks reported this, but several of these, according to the to the ufologists in their book, several of these were very credible witnesses. In other words, like, there was one who was a CEO of a major cookie company. They wouldn't say who he was. And there were, like, you know, aeronautical engineers and cops, lots and lots of cops who said they saw this trust thing. cops. And you, if you can't trust a cop, tell me, who can you trust? I, I, got, I got a cop, I got a Keebler elf, and, and like an aeronautics engineer all on record saying that they saw this flying boomerang thing that can read my mind. Like, clear. What, to what degree could this be like um, everyone having like a collective like final hallucination from leaded gasoline? Yeah, I mean, so that, so there is also kind of, I mean, there are like weird cases of, you know, mass hysteria all the time. And maybe something got into the water. I yeah. don't know. Maybe yeah, like, maybe it, Albany was putting yeah. off some like paper processing chemicals that got into their water supply and made them all mass hallucinated giant boomerang in the sky. This is like the McDonald's Szechuan sauce of the eighties <laughs> thing, right? Like Rick and Morty. Yeah. But I kind of choose to I kind of choose to believe in it. What's um, the most compelling uh, thing that you've found in your research? I think just the sheer number of people who saw it. And the consistency of their accounts. It's just very rare that you would see, very rare that you, that someone could even say, I watched it for, you know, an hour. Like that's not a common UFO experience at all. And to me, it kind of seems like maybe there was a spate of like scientific tourism on the part of these aliens where they just showed up. They did like a year and a half's worth of exploration and like tests and they were like, I wonder what the humans will think if we turn our lights from white to red. And then they did it. And then they just kind of gathered everybody's thoughts. And they were like, hmm, interesting. Huh. That's my theory on it. I, I, it was like, just like a, a little, little research jaunt. trip for yeah. whatever these creatures were. Yeah. I, I feel like that probably the most uh, incredible part to me is that uh, or like you can see in the documentation, like people uh, noticing a very distinct thing as it moves in a direction. Which leads me to believe right. that it's not a so collective were... hallucination. It is a thing that everyone is seeing, and it is moving in a really predictable direction and speed. They were able, based on accounts, to chart a path for this. And it was by no means like a straight and narrow right. path. But they were able to say, oh, at this at 9.05, we had 12 calls from this city. And then 25 minutes later, we had... So it was, that's pretty interesting, too. 
So what year did this happen in? This was, uh, the first incidence was New Year's Eve, 1982. And it went through late summer, early autumn of 1984. Yeah. Well, so was there any uh, questioning of NORAD? So like NORAD apparently has like a understanding of all flying objects bigger than like five meters in diameter including like, including santa claus yeah like at all <laughs> at all times like they just know what's in the sky like at least or that there's something in the sky they were not able to get any um so there were like witnesses at airport um traffic control towers mm-hmm. but they were not allowed to give any official reports on what they would either just say it was planes which these are these are also people who live around airports they live even around military bases like they know what aircraft looks like and there were all of these, all of these witnesses just said it is absolutely not a fucking plane or any configuration of planes or any configuration of helicopters. It is not any of these things. I have seen all of these things. Um, so that to me is also kind of huh. like compelling. Okay. So here's my, here's my theory. All right. 1981, Reagan breaks up the air traffic controllers union, right? And then immediately after that, we start seeing these these entities for like three or four years. Reagan gets reelected and they uh, uh, realize that, you know, like whatever massive union powered airship they've created in order to get back the union jobs is not going to work. They land it softly uh, right off the Taconic in Westchester County. Trump buys that land in the 90s, right? Uh, in order to create a uh, hotel and casino thing, it gets uh, nimbied out of existence, and he sells it for a tax break in 2006, thus becoming the moribund uh, Donald J. Trump State Park that isn't actually a park. <laughs> you can't go into it, can you? Right, no, it's not. It's just How abandoned it? land that he sold off to the state as a tax write-off in, two, in, in like 2006 or something. Wait, people, Have you ever driven past the Donald J. Trump no. State, New York State Park? Yeah. Wh- where is this? Off the Taconic. Off the Taconic, yeah. yeah. No, everything I said is true. So, <laughs> so wh- where did the, uh, the like, why, people can't go into it? No, it's, it's a tax write-off. It is a big piece of land that's just a giant tax write-off. Because he bought it hoping to build a bunch of hotels and stuff and a golf course out there, but the neighbors uh, didn't want it. And so it, 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 the land became essentially worthless to him because he couldn't build what he wanted to build on it, so he sold it. To the state for a tax write-off. Can we put this in the show notes? Absolutely. Oh yeah, I want to read that one. Isn't there like a Rachel Maddow uh, thing on um, the Donald J. Trump State Park? I like think when so. He, when I he think was running, when he was running, she did a thing on it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she lives out in like Western Massachusetts or something, so she probably does all of these drives like outside of the Greater New York Metro area. Yeah, probably drives by that all the time. So imagine, so if you've ever been down the Taconic, which is a very pretty scenic route that goes up from New York to upstate. You, f- you feel like you're in like a car commercial. So right? imagine like all of these people, like you hit traffic on the Taconic. All these cars are pulling over to the side of the road. People are getting out of their cars. They're like staring up the sky. You get out, you see a football field sized boomerang that's like a matte black covered in Christmas lights right above you like 500 feet above you how do you ever be sane again after that just how do you like go on living your fucking life after you see that and then and then it kills a kaiju sized kangaroo (laughs) 
Incredible. <laughs> That's the Steven Spielberg version of the Hudson Valley sightings. Yeah. <sighs> Westchester County's guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that the only way that you could maintain sanity is to know that you, what you saw is what you saw and that it's true. And that, like, anybody that's going to lie about it is going to do it for their benefit. Because if you really see something and you're, like, backed up by other people who are right there and we're like, yep, I saw that as well. And, like, everybody really feels it. Unless you've been on some type of psychedelics or anything, I, I generally trust, you know, your, your, what you saw. So there's some other weird shit that happened, too, that I also think helped solidify a lot of people's beliefs. There was a lot of weird air traffic in the area that was obviously recognizable as, as conventional aircraft, but they were behaving in strange ways. Um, like, people described actually seeing light planes during the day flying in formation in ways that, like, light planes... You would never fly a light plane in formation. They saw... You're talking about, like, Cessnas? Like, like tiny prop airplanes yeah yeah and, and they're and they like what like flying in like a like a chevron like v formation well like no weird? there's like several of them flying together yeah but like spaced well apart uh-huh it, it it was the type of air activity that made people think that they were trying to replicate people's experience of the ship so that they could then say see it was x <laughs> um but oh, like, nobody was convinced. And yeah. so they, they had like this big convention. There were several meetings. There were all kinds of radio call-ins. So it's a very public conversation that's happening, right? And every time somebody would would offer the explanation that it was, you know, planes flying in formation or, or a blimp or whatever else, um, people would like either laugh or at one point they were booed at like a, yeah. like a city council meeting for saying that. Um, people felt like massive numbers of people, many from like very respectable career driven backgrounds who you, who didn't want to jeopardize the reputation all came out and said, we saw this thing and it was a fucking UFO. And so I just think that's, I don't know. That's fucking cool. I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like everything that it concludes with a whole bunch of people in consensus being like, yeah, I saw it what was, I saw. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just the, you know, like I said before, I, I really want the Fermi paradox to not really be a paradox. I, I want there to be a lot of evidence that I just haven't, you know, been exposed to or, uh, you know, we can prove that says that there is evidence of, uh, you know, interstellar civilization. Fermi paradox being that, like, we sh there should be a lot more life around, but we haven't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interstellar so, life around, yeah, but we so, haven't come in contact with it. Yeah, right. they they made the uh, the uh, atomic bomb. A bunch of um, uh, you know these super brilliant you know physicists, scientists, and stuff um, were having lunch, and you know um, they all you know thought about it in private, and were talking about the chance and possibility of extraterrestrials, and they're all like, "Yeah, there definitely should be a ton." And uh, Enrico Fermi allegedly was like, "So why?" Is there no evidence of it? Like we have these radio telescopes, we were, we were you know observing majority of the Milky Way galaxy. We're listening for, you know, any type of waves that are being given off with any type of regularity or frequency, and we're looking for things like Dyson spheres, and we just can't find any evidence at all that there's any intelligent quote unquote you know civil uh, like intergalactic or interplanetary uh, civilization out there. Um, and in my in my opinion, can I share my uh, my theory on it? 
I think that whatever, I think that there have been extraterrestrials in the sense that they are not from our planet that have visited our planet before. But I don't think that they travel through space. Because based on everything that we know about, like, the laws of physics, that mm. seems extraordinarily difficult. Yeah, There's got to be some minimum, other yeah. mode of travel, whether it's within our universe or from, like, like neighboring, like, parallel universes or something interdimensionally traveling. Whatever it is, I don't think that it, like, travels through space on a ship. Yeah. It just seems... It's not bound by yeah. It, it, to be not bound by the uh, linear space time would be a huge advantage. Maybe it's the mycelium network. Oh yeah, shout out Star Trek shout Discovery. Out Star Trek Discovery, which isn't really Star Trek, but it's okay. It's it's, a, it's an okay. It's show. fine. I did like the mycelial network. That's a cool idea. I thought it was a cool idea. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> one right. last spooky thing about the aliens. Yes. Is that so? In that area is the Indian Point nuclear reactor facility. Oh yeah, the one that should and have been there, shut down a long time ago. Yes, uh, and so there was a lot of activity around that. And at one point, so they they got these reports from employees and like the commander at this facility, and there were lots of reports of people like seeing it. At one point, they they almost tried to shoot it down. Uh, their whole security system failed at when like during this sighting so like their alarms went down and their like surveillance system went down pretty crazy what about west point west point's really close yeah to west that. point's also, really close to there i didn't see any reports about west huh. point that's wild well, they're very hush hush yeah right yeah, yeah it's just a, very, it's just a boy school it's just a, a no catholic ask, school with stupider uniforms yeah there's a don't ask <laughs> don't tell policy about about UFOs, <laughs> yeah things other things yeah. Everyone was being hazed at that moment. Oh, another thing. Yeah. Another thing is they got contacted by this NSA agent. Who's they? Uh, the researchers okay. who wrote uh, Night Siege. Night book. Siege. Yeah. Um, but the, these, there was like a whole research like station set up. I think it was KUFOS, Center for UFO Studies. I think it was KUFOS set them up. But... <laughs> so the NSA got involved? Because weren't they <laughs> well, just no, so in they got counter a, espionage at that they, point? Uh they had a lot of land in that area, apparently. And so who knows what the NSA might want, like an enormous hovering boomerang for. You never know. They'll find a use for it. <laughs> but anyway, they got contacted by this guy who said he was an NSA agent, which the researchers say that they can they verified. But he wanted to make it very clear that he was not calling them in his capacity as an NSA agent. He was calling just as a private citizen. And he had all of these weird questions for them that were like prescient, like stuff that he shouldn't have even known to ask about. And at the same time, they their line got bugged, which actually a journalist told them that, you know, hey, just so you know, like your line is bugged. I, so I'm imagining, so like the year is like 2025, uh, um, Baron Trump has somehow succeeded to the presidency after Donald Trump dies in office at, uh, uh, in his second term. And Harry Reid, uh, uh, emboldened by the leftist movements of the of the past few years comes out as a posadist and runs for president on a explicitly posadist platform of uh talking to aliens in order to unify the human race in an international communism and also to talk to dolphins and uh that's as far as i get but then, but then we find out about this like right. this gets all like uncovered as like it's just like all all harry reed runs on is like let's find out what's going on with alien shit. Like there has to be like Marion Williamson is like 20% there, but like how many more presidential 
election cycles are we going to have before someone's like i like i am i have a, I'm a one issue candidate and that one issue is like what store- is the deal with ufo <laughs> yeah yeah it's like yeah it's like we're gonna go contact aliens uh storm area 51 they can't stop us all. So, so that yeah. event still hasn't been canceled, right? Like they're still planning on actually. Didn't it happen soon? I, I thought the, didn't Facebook right? take down the Facebook, Facebook t- took, took down, down the event, but took down the event. Yeah. That's the thing about the internet. You yeah. can't just can't just take it down. There's too much momentum. It was scheduled it. for like September, I think. I gotta, yeah. I gotta, yeah, yeah, yeah. It should be. Yeah. You guys want to go? A little bit, yeah. We need some Soros bucks to fund our trip to Storm Area 51. We yeah. we need to report. We we just it's strictly a reconnaissance mission, you know, for we're just doing journalism. Right. You get a press pass <laughs> to Area 51. Oh man. Uh, but how would you like to be like one of the 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 unlucky martyrs that actually gets shot? Say, all in the yeah, run the unfortunate. Into Oof. the facility. So would you guys want to see a ufo absolutely you would yeah why wouldn't i because i think if i saw one it would ruin my life oh i think i think it'd be so great i mean ultimately wouldn't that you know be really life affirming like it would there'd be a great pressure let up off of the human species in my opinion really you think so yeah because right now it's like okay so if you are a reader of like periodicals or you know, as I am, yeah, or just whatever you you're up I on what's going hate on. Periodicals. You understand that we're in a ecological uh, series of mounting crises, and that like the the chance of long term habitable conditions for human beings to live in abundance in numbers on this planet may be numbered, like the the amount of time that we have left for that, uh, unless we do something totally radical and we change the sticks and carrots by which all our societies operate and we figure out what to do to yeah, like make it survive. Right. How do aliens make you feel better about this? Well, well, the thing is if we aren't the only quote unquote intelligent life that there's evidence that it exists. Right. And we wipe this planet clear of all of its ecology, at least life itself and the capacity for consciousness and all types of experience and everything else isn't snuffed out with us. That, like, if, in fact, the Fermi paradox is a paradox, like, there is no evidence whatsoever uh, for any interplanetary, inter, you know, like, high technological civilization to uh, have ever existed, as far as we can tell. And we're the one. The amount of pressure that that puts on us individually and morally, if we believe that life itself is like a valuable and like you know good thing that we should be keeping you know going i mean it's hard to imagine that like life itself would actually be extincted by like a ecological collapse from a rapid rise in the temperature because of fossil fuels and everything else i think some life would definitely keep going but like so many species are already going extinct every single day that like the ecological crisis is the most paramount and obvious moral and survival-based, you know, existential threat issue that we face as a species. And figuring out, like, how we make that work in a nationalized, like, in society with, like, lots of competing nation-states and groups of people and classes and everybody, like, you know, fighting over profit share, you know? It, it, it's, uh, it's wild. So... 
I look at where we're at and sometimes I get really anxious that we might be the only life that has ever been able to write poetry and experience, right. you know, the laws of physics and wonderment of mathematics and just, you know, dance and plays and, you know, podcasts and art and just like lived and loved and like really like just, you know, I know I, I think therefore I am and I live and I know that my, like my life is amazing and, and, and great. And that, uh, the idea that we wipe that out as an experience that matter has, <laughs> permanently is like way higher game stakes than if we're just one of a, a obvious plethora of uh species that have like come and checked us out and like so basically us. your belief in in extraterrestrials makes you feel less bad about us totally destroying our planet and all life on it it's yeah i mean really right? that's like, fair no yeah. that's totally like yeah, legit that, yeah that, fucking that, reason to feel hopeful that's about true it. Yeah. i mean i mean i'd rather obviously we don't just destroy well, life sure, on this planet but, but like know, if the... wishes were fishes <laughs> I, I just hold out hope that the Ulankali exist in some kind of octavia butler scenario and they'll abduct me and we could have cool tentacle sex and then repopulate the planet and everything yeah. will be fine yeah no i picked that one too yeah yeah <laughs> Ah, uh, so it, you guys are gardeners, right? <laughs> we all need to fan ourselves off a little yeah, bit. Thinking yeah, that's their own collie. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> They're not hot, but they want. They make you want to have sex with them. Yeah. <laughs> very, have you ever read? Have you ever read the um? Shit, what's the name uh, of the... that? That book, the first one is called Dawn. Yeah, the Octavia Butler Xenogenesis series. Yeah, yeah. I, I only read the first book. You read all three. I read all three. They're very steamy. If you're into alien sex, I. I highly recommend them. Hell yeah. Yeah. Book one is a strong start. It is. A lot of, lot of tentacles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a moment of silence. I don't remember how we got to tentacle sex. I'm sorry. I forgot. Uh, it, was, it was something about oh, yeah, Donald aliens. J. Trump State so, Park. Yeah. But that's it. No. That, <laughs> Octavia Butler. <laughs> that's another thing about these aliens that uh, I find interesting is they're just like coming down and sometimes they want to be sexy with us. Um, and a lot of people... I bring you love. Right. <laughs> he brings us love. Get him. <laughs> I think they're really into butt stuff because they don't really seem to have any butts. Right. Like all the depictions of them, you know, they, they don't have anything. I imagine they're too highly evolved physiologically to create waste. Like I imagine them as just being perfectly like self-contained. Yeah. Struck, A like, butt is so that... much more than like what is excreted out of it though. Well, that's spiritually that's yeah. true yeah well, yeah a lot of people uh you know one, one of the ways that people deal with the fermi paradox as like an, an issue um is that they say that more likely than not people uh instead of getting intergalactic and their expanse of resource consumption or whatever um figure out how to become post-biological and just live inside computers yeah post-humanism mm. yeah. yeah just you know like grimes and, <laughs> and elon musk I mean, yeah, yeah yeah i for every time i fucking stub my toe or my ankle gets a little sore because of the weather my first thought is just i am so done with this fleshy fucking body put yeah. me in a jar my i'm, I'm falling apart at the ripe old age of 31 i mean this is hubris that i think this but i have a feeling that even when we become post-biological there'll be like a class within the economy. That's like the engineers that keep like the bio, uh, you know, 
suspension sim- fluid. Yeah, it's the like simulations. It's so, the correct pH level. It, would yeah. probably, it probably will be completely a non-biological, so it won't even be like living necessarily. But There'll it, be one person just like sitting at the control station with like a big red button, like in the Jetsons, right? And he yeah. just like has to p- press the big red button. And the just, whole universe uh, keep existing. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> You'd probably have to have a class of like... <sighs> Like a, a priest few, class. You'd have to yeah. have, yeah, you'd have to have like a fleshy class of humans yeah. that well, just well, maintain, like if all of the, however, the whatever computer systems exist at the time, if all of those go down, then you have like a, a highly educated engineer priest class yeah. of fleshy human beings that are like the... Um, they're like the Bene Gesserits or something. I think right. that's why just like... Yeah. Uh, but then all your sons and daughters rebel and they want to be in the, in the jar in a head cloud too. And then that's well, how we yeah, all day out. P- perhaps. I don't know. That's I, how it ends. I wonder if that's why, like, uh, Andrew Yang can uh, speak so calmly and confidently about, like, a uh, totally automated uh, future for society that he just knows that he's part of, like, the really hard to automate away, like, uh, techno uh, priestly class that will, like, help, you know, the uh, machines be, you know, take over everything. I mean, that's, that's essentially, like, what a lot of, um, you know, industrial engineers do like, isn't it? When I was doing a lot of industrial engineering, I literally realized on a Marxist basis that I was part of the middle class because my role was to increase the ratio of extraction from the profit dollar, um, of a sold, uh, revenue, um, toward the capitalist hmm. to, to take the same amount of labor and produce more widgets and more revenue. I think you're profit. off the pod, dude. I think you're canceled. <laughs> well, I think I think that it's 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 important to to talk about it within like that that explicit class terms because that made yeah. me realize like oh shit so like literally like I'm incentivized to make workers more and more obsolete right. and uh, remove their portion of the profit that is created. And when you think about that to like, and, and I didn't feel too bad about it because like the, co- the company first off never was profitable. Um, but secondly, like, you know, uh, it, it still involves a lot of people and people had to do away with greater and greater drudgery when we like made the processes more automated. So I think that that's like the, the, the rationale for a lot of the people who are like doing this, like they're really trying to like make the working conditions and everything of the process like better and take like the worst parts out and like make them as error proof as possible and like you know everything else but the net effect of it is that a lot of people in the next you know dozens of years are going to be uh, made not so needed and there's going to be a lot of people who are in a position like i am which will become ever more needed to like keep up with maintaining and improving the uh, yeah, but isn't it getting systems? harder for engineers to find jobs i thought I mean, I thought that was increasingly maybe. becoming the case that I, it is that we have like a else. glut of engineering deg- like degree holders. That could very well be the case. I I don't know about it, but uh, all I know is that like if we're going to move toward a greater and greater automated society, in my experience, the support systems of that society are going to linearly grow, and so you're going to need more and more technicians, and you're going to need more and more uh, engineers and you know quality people because it, yeah, when you're doing stuff at that scale, you need to have like crazy bureaucratic loops you jump through to make sure it happens like consistently and like equally everywhere it it's it's a it's a lot but i I, there i think there's going to be a lot of employment in the near term um but eventually i'll probably be automated away like 100 years from now like whatever i'm doing you know that is to say if we like continue to expand into space and don't just rely on the material mineral and you know 
energy resources that are planet bound. Though, as you increase uh, supply, or as you increase demand, like supply will increase, and like it, like those those jobs won't be the plum, like high fi- high five, low six figure jobs yeah. that they are now. Like that's you know, like the learn to code thing is just like increase supply so that we can pay coders less. Right. right? And I, I think the best case for, or the best. Yeah, the best case for the the Marxist analysis of uh, automation is that actually uh, automation happens first, and then the efficiency gains happen afterward. You don't immediately realize the efficiency gains once you automate a factory. You have to make up for all the costs yeah. that you spent automating it. Yeah. Well, you, you have to make up for all the costs mm-hmm. automating it, but also like the actual production goes down. Right. Uh, because you can only really perfect the hardware and software at scale so you have to let it do its thing uh and like figure it and figure out how to get the factory to work at scale at as good a quality and pace as human labor did and but you you sink that cost because in the long run as a capitalist you are shrinking uh the labor pool and and realizing more of the profits long term Mm. yeah so it's very it's it's uh uh, read read uh, Leo Marx the other the other Marx uh, but uh, oh yeah he, yeah he tells you about all, all that stuff yeah and David Noble America by Design good book yeah yeah uh, you you want to get into some uh, some wildflowers yeah 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 it's this artist uh, who is an art professor uh, at the Syracuse University and his name is uh, Sam Van Aken. And he grafted uh, trees over nine years. First of all, artists need to fucking stay in their lane. You can't be, <laughs> you can't be an artist deciding you're going to go be like an arborist, despite the fact that they sound similar. They're not the same. I don't know. I, I so it, you know, <laughs> no. I think it's cool as fuck. That can I buy a be tree? Like, can at, I make a weird tree? I yeah. think that's cool as. Fuck. I don't know. Can yeah. I buy a tree at an art store? No, I can't. Therefore, not art. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's kind of my argument. Can I, can yeah. I go to Hobby Lobby buy a real tree? No, fake trees. I can buy a bunch of like silk flowers. You can yeah. draw a tree. That's, that's fine. You can paint a tree. You could sculpt a tree. Yeah. You can't be happy you can't craft a tree as an artist. Well, well, you guys have trees, right? We have two crab apple trees, and then some Japanese have, maples. Well, yeah, and... we have a bunch. Of, and David also grows like blueberries and yeah. raspberries and strawberries, and the woodchucks love all of it. Yeah. The wood you can look out our window at any given time and see a little woodchuck on its hind legs eating a crab apple. So yeah. cute. Yeah, woodchucks are super adorable. They will destroy your garden. Oh yeah, they they've wrecked. Yeah. yeah, they've wrecked David's garden like if, more than if once. We, you know, human society was ever to be plunged into subsistence, uh, individual backyard gardening. Like I think the um, uh, groundhog would be uh, enemy of the state number one. Yeah, much maligned. So uh, these trees of forty fruit. Uh, how do they defend themselves against predators? How do they? By being confusing. By being works of art that subvert yeah, expectations. Art, right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, so so uh, whether it's like these like weird art project, 40 fruit trees, or just like a regular apple tree, you essentially have what's called root stock, and then you have a scion. Yeah. And so and, you have... And you graft the two onto each other. Mm-hmm. And the, the root stock, from what I understand, determines the shape of the tree, and then the scion determines basically what kind of tree, like what it, 
what fruit but it, it produces. Bears. Correct, right? correct. Yeah. The um, the the rootstock also determines the fruiting pattern, which was a surprise to me. Mm. So I have a bunch of um, G four and G two 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 two, um, two two two. No, just three twos. Um, uh, uh, stock, and that's from Geneva, New York. Uh-huh. And I believe that's the same. Place. And these are apple trees. Yeah, these are apple what trees. What kind of apples yeah. are they? Um, so I have a smokehouse variety. I have a Worcester pear main. I have a Northwest greening. And I have a cherry cox. So I, I have, never heard of any of those apples. Yeah, neither that's have pretty I. cool. I'm pretty excited to eat them eventually. So, so there are like 7,000 varieties of apples currently. And that's like half of what there used to be like 100 years ago. Right. Yeah. yeah. And there's less varieties of stone fruit, which is the reason yeah. why uh, this guy, uh, Sam Van Aken, uh, made this tree of 40 fruit. It was the idea that he was trying to uh, preserve as both an art project and conversation piece, but also as a way of representing the various cultivars um, in one tree, which is a cool thing. Now, will it save? So, okay, so can you take like a branch of a particular type of plum that this tree is growing? Can Mm -hmm. I take a graft from that and take it to a rootstock and grow a tree of that specific? Yes, if you're lucky. Variety? Yeah. So I'm trying to understand like if if there's, obviously there's a clear artistic like uh, uh, justification for making it, which I think is really cool and beautiful. Mm -hmm. But I also wonder if there's like a practical like cultivation uh, like reason for for creating this thing. Well, I mean, there's problems that can happen that are direct result of the genetics and uh, vulnerabilities of the rootstock. So you can have, you know, various parasites or, you know, infections that affect, you know, a particular breed of rootstock. And that could hit the tree of 40 fruit and wipe it out, right? But anything that would be susceptible to individual cultivars likely only, you know, hurt the the individual um, branch. Right. Um, so, you know, I think it's a reasonable way to try and keep a genetic library of cultivatable, delicious fruit, you know, lives to have a number of these types of, you know, trees of X amount of fruit uh, in different locales. It grows plums and, and peaches. Yeah. Does it grow cherries? Do uh, you guys know? It yeah. does pl- peaches, plums, nectarines, apricots. Uh, but uh, 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 let me try and look up in a full extension. Lots of different varieties. No, that's cool. Yeah, that's I all. Think they were like cher- yeah, cherries. Uh, uh, almonds are are kind almonds. of st- almonds. Are I kind knew of stone they were fruit. stone fruit. That. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, because you eat, you but with almonds you eat the pit instead of the fruit. Is there yeah. any use for the fruit? Do they make? I don't think so. Yeah, you can do the same kind of thing with citrus as well. You can have lemon and orange and grapefruit and. Um, a bunch of different citrus on the same tree. Right. Um, so I think that's a total trip that like every, you know, Fuji apple you've ever eaten is genetically identical. They're clones. And the way that they clone is like on a branch basis necessarily uh, more than on a plant basis. And so like the, you know, dwarf apple trees I have in my backyard are probably going to grow um, to their me- median height in the scope of about six years and start bearing fruit at the scope of like four years. And that's primarily based on the rootstock. And then the actual like um, type of apple that grows out is the scion. And uh, the trick is basically lining up the uh, outer layer of the xylem and phloem, like the living, you know, ring of the tree and uh, patching it up in such a way that it doesn't get infected and it doesn't lose too much moisture. Mm. Yeah, so it eventually can heal in a way that, you know, it can become a robust uh, fruiting tree of, you know, many branches of the same uh, scion. So I have a question about crab apples. Are crab apples just what happens when 
an apple tree is essentially allowed to go back to like nature is it yeah, like, like the you, weed version of apple tre- not weed like that kind of weed yeah yeah no no exactly like if you took a uh fuji apple uh, apple and you were to save the seeds from it and you were to plant those um, right you know, i'd get a crap apple tree yeah they're all okay. crap apples that and makes sense. I, my understanding is that there's a certain amount of genetic mutation that happens in the sexual production process such that the actual seeds aren't you know uh, reliable characteristics in terms of the fruit that we want a lot like uh, you know peppers or tomatoes you know they're even peppers seeds. though sometimes you'll plant a pepper seed and it won't be the pepper the type, from yeah. the seed that you because if it gets pollinated from right another, by the wrong because yeah. that happened to us once where we tried to plant some kind of pepper i don't remember yeah, what and it came up thing. as some yeah. fucking weird ass pepper yeah. which we ate but it was strange. it was weird it was strange yeah yeah, there, there's like there's about like fifty for apples. There's like fifty different kinds of uh, things that can be different for each apple tree, but from like you know the the shape of the tree to like the the flesh of the fruit and the skin and how, how and, early it fruits and right and how long they last and all these different. There's like I think they counted something like fifty different uh, characteristics uh, can change. So it's, it's, well, and, and so crab apples are just like a variety that are not very tasty to us. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. like, the, but they're good for other things. They're yeah. good for like apple butter and for cider is obviously the big one because yep. that's what all of our forefathers, that's, that's all that existed here was just crab apples and well, they used it for with cider, but I wish, so it is, it's always apple season in upstate New York, yeah, but I think true. right now is really good apple picking season and it will be for the next couple of months, like into, into early October, November. Yeah. November. So we should totally we should go, go apple, apple picking. Yeah. Good if at, anybody uh, is listening and you want to go apple picking in the next month or two or three, uh, hit us up. Yeah. Ironweedspod, ironweedspod at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Twitter at ironweedspod. And while we're talking about the email address, we should say thank you to Sam Harrington, who uh, sent us a very lovely note saying how uh, how much he enjoyed the podcast and suggested demanding that we... the grimes interview yeah, yeah. <laughs> shaming us for not including yeah, yeah. The grimes so interview. If, if that you know made any of y'all smile um props to sam, sam harrington for the yeah. suggestion yeah, absolutely for the inspiration yeah if you've also ever stepped on a lego that's his fault too <laughs> <laughs> uh uh but yeah so the the um the the apple equivalent of sam van aiken is uh this guy uh uh David... Johnny Appleseed, right? <laughs> right? We're talking about Johnny Appleseed. Yeah. This guy uh, David Ben Scoder, he's a, a former FBI detective that like all the, I read like three different stories about him, one in the New York Times and like Atlas Obscura and Smithsonian and they all basically say you know, like he uses the FBI skills to hunt down different like extinct apple varieties <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> yeah, but um He's using uh, his powers for good I'm instead of evil. I'm from a federal bushel investigation. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. Yes. Uh, yeah. Is it, um, he's in upstate, or he's in um, Washington, where like something like two-thirds of all Apple production happens is in Washington. State. Nice. State, yes. And, and, uh, um, and By the know, shot is called a Washington Apple. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, you know, like, and most of it's like, what, like Gala, Red Delicious, and... The uh, shitty apples. And, and Granny Smith, yeah. Yeah, no, but if you want, like, we got good good. apples in upstate New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Granny you, Smith sucks. If you, I love it. Oh, you, nah, Granny Smith apples suck. Nah, yeah, it. if you want, like, the B sides and rarities and, like, the long tail of apples. Yeah, it's just, like, all these 
weird varieties. Oh, yeah. he, he actually sends a lot of the seeds, this uh, FBI agent, uh, to um, a seed conservatory in Maine called Fedco Seeds. Mm. I thought can, the seeds didn't matter. Well, you can get seeds or you can get uh, the scions and the rootstock. You can get all these different... So, and, and, yeah, the seeds don't matter, but, like, you can still, like, maybe reverse engineer and, like, try to at least, like, keep some semblance of of former trees, like, around. Right. Like, they also sent it to the, the uh, International Seed Library that I think has since gotten flooded from climate change. Oh, yeah, they thought, they thought it was right? safe yeah. there. Wasn't that in Greenland? Oh, is, is, that why Tr- is that why Trump wants? I thought, I thought it was in like a Scandinavian yeah. country, oh, maybe, maybe it, like I'm Norway wrong. or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think I think you're right. Um, uh, interesting. You're talking about the federal government being, um, you know, seed banking and stuff. The USD apparently reached out to uh, Sam Van Aken. Yeah. Apparently, Sam Van Aken actually had a greater variety of uh, traditional cultivars than even the USDA, and so wow. they wanted, you know, to get a couple scion and start doing their own grafts and, you know, c- keeping the um, fruit forests of tomorrow as uh uh you know pristine as they could yeah yeah but i i, re- I really love the idea of like going out and like, like just something something romantic about like someone going out into like this abandoned orchard and like finding a variety of apple like the like the last apple on one like gnarled tree limb it's like the like a variety that no one's tasted for 80, 100 years. Like, I think that's cool. In this, so. in the socialist utopia future that we're all building, um, there will be f- tree of 40 fruits lining urban streets. <laughs> Absolutely. And down by the waterfront. Oh, and the city man. will maintain them and care for them. And it will be free for all who wish to take from the tree of 40 fruits. I, I really wish we had more public fruit trees. Yeah, I think that you were joking a little bit about the like the, the gorilla, the happen, gorilla but... like um, gardening, and, like, gardening is yeah. super and cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. seed bombing. Yeah. So, so while we're doing shout outs, I got to shout out uh, Andrew Lynn, uh, Christian, uh, Azure, um, a lot of the uh, you know downtown Troy um, permaculture advocates that are doing the work of trying to develop this edible urban fruit and nut forest um, society and they're just doing it and it's really cool like they have multiple apples that they have down there they have multiple nectarines um peaches peaches have been bearing fruit for multiple years and it's it's very interesting knowing now the work of maintaining a fruiting tree right like like you have to thin peaches for example because they will produce far more buds than they actually have the structural capability of um, uh, bearing fruit, and so you yeah, just that's get ones that like aren't very fleshy. You just it's like well, mostly you, a seed, you, and you have to you have to thin you have to thin them out. You have yeah. to take some of the blossoms you, off. You want like eight inches between every huh. peach, because otherwise, what will happen is the peaches will grow heavy with um, you know nectar or water or whatever, and they'll break the bough, and that wow. that'll happen like definitely like with modern that's... cultivars of peaches, like you have to be out there thinning it, and if you don't thin it to the proper uh, rate. And it depends, I think on the orientation of the branch If the branch is like at a, a more vertical orientation is going up. It can probably handle a decent amount, but if it's like cantilevered out to the side of the main right, trunk, crack, yeah. then it's going to, you know, have a, a high propensity to cracking. It's, it's, it's like, the, it's like what... those uh, uh, pure breed dogs that yeah. like can't breathe. You know, it's yeah. basically that. Yeah. Well, you also That's have to think about it in, in the highest wind that you're going to see that growing season mm-hmm. and or highest rain or, you know, ice condition in the winter or whatever. If you're growing, you know, fruit trees in upstate New York, you have to 
deal with a wide range of um, you know climatic conditions. Yeah. So I don't know. I have a couple of fruit trees, and I'm like, this is my first time growing fruit trees in uh, like land that I uh, am investing in. Um, and I, I'm worried about certain branch orientations, but I'm just going to learn it out. You know, yeah. I'm going to see what happens and try and make it work. All right. So I think that the first act of a Bernie Sanders administration, all right, obviously first Medicare for all second free college third, a tree of 40 fruits in every backyard. You get a tree and you get a tree and everybody gets a tree. Yeah. And it's free food for the people. Yeah. I actually think that's, but it's just like the last thing in this, I guess, is I think that's part of what a lot of people don't, uh, and I am by no means like a, an agricultural, I don't grow, I, I have a ficus that I've had for like 12 years, but nice. otherwise I can't really keep anything alive. And it's also an extremely hard to kill ficus. But I do think that sometimes people assume that you could just plant fruit trees everywhere and then we could all just have fruit trees everywhere and we could just have free food. But like a fruit, fruit tree has to be maintained, not just so that it will fruit properly, but also so that you don't have like rotten yeah, you got to collect the fruit underneath yeah. it all the Otherwise, time. Otherwise, you're going to have like a huge amount of like small animals. Exactly. And, and and just like breed. rotting fruit that contributes to all kinds of, you yeah. know, can actually make the tree sick and yeah. and so I think um that's part of what I believe that there has to be some kind of like caretaking organizational structure around those kinds of urban projects. Like somebody yes. has to be in charge of maintaining it. And in, in, in a position that can transition that power to the next person over and over over the long and term. And so that somebody can be trained in the proper yeah. ways to, you know, to deal with it. And so that we can keep like a census. Like yeah. I said, I know that all the the conservatives thought the tree census was dumb, but like, yeah, somebody has to keep track of the trees and see if they're getting sick and, you know, fix mm-hmm. the problem before all of them get sick. So Anyway, yeah, it seems super like theoretical to like say like, well, like there you should you should problematize the idea of nature and like nature and humanity are are all one thing in a giant cyborg like hive mind. But you know, really, like I I, I do think like you know like you, when you think of a fruiting tree, you think of nature. But you know, really, like you know, we've cultivated it for generations. Uh, the way that you collect the the food. Is it's a obvious, living factory. Is, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a. You know, plants are chemical factories, and yeah. and, and and it's not. It's enough like to a just... cat or a dog. It has to. You have to keep domesticating it all the time. Yeah. If you just let it go feral, then it will just be a organism that is no longer compatible right. and with we'll probably human. Suffer. And yeah. we'll probably, yeah. I mean, yeah. with a cat or a dog, yeah, definitely. But the idea of of having like a uh, food producing uh, vegetation around us, like in the majority of our urban you know landscapes, makes a ton of sense. Oh God, because, yeah, like, super important, super useful, yeah. good for the environment. Yeah, like cooling, it provides. That's a ton another of, problem yeah. with just doing like straight up guerrilla urban mm-hmm. farming and gardening is that like you have no idea what the soil quality is in places where you plan you have to do like tons of testing right somebody has to pay for but one of the hardest things to deal with in terms of environmental contaminants and food is heavy metals right in in fact a lot of uh fruiting plants don't actually transfer the heavy metals uh that the plant is experiencing and taking up onto the fruit that like the fruit barrier is often a membrane that actually like tends to not concentrate at least. Is that true for like stone fruit? Yeah. As far as I know, almost all fruit. Um, Like I have to look more into this, but that's one of the things that'll happen Mm. in uh, areas that when you're urban gardening and you know the the soil is contaminated because you got to test it or you're not bringing in additional soil to like put on top with some type of barrier between 
um, that you'll often uh, do fruiting plants because as far as like the highest concentrators of like heavy metals out of the soil are like leafing greening um, plants like you know cabbage or uh, collards of any or uh, sorry uh, brassicas of any variety um, uh, lettuce like various other things can really take that up and also what can take it up is flowers which are pretty and then you don't need to uh, do anything uh, with them in terms of uh, human consumption afterward. So often people will put uh, sunflowers in lead contaminated soils to take up the uh, extra lead and then they'll dispose of those sunflowers offsite. And so then those are good for the bees, which are good for all of the healthy plants that are growing yeah. All around. Yeah. And, and probably similar uh, restriction on the heavy metal transfer to the pollen, et cetera. I would think so. I would think it would be hard for yeah. heavy, because the bees, they're so little. They can't carry <laughs> heavy metals around. Like Yeah, well, and the heavy metals are, are too heavy to bring up into the into the, the flower, which is so and high I imagine, up. Yeah, I imagine like, bees prefer like country and pop. Yeah. I don't see bees yeah. as yeah. big heavy metal. Yellow jackets are probably big heavy metal fans. Yeah, and, and I'd be down for like an syndicalist uh, organized uh, tree care and planting for, you know, urban food uh, forestry and like distribution to the people. If that were to come about, that'd be super awesome. The state wants to take it on and we think we have a good democratic control of the apparatus and that's cool too. Yeah. But yeah, it'd be really awesome to grow a lot more food in our urban centers yeah. where we eat the most. Yeah. All right. Well, that's... Yeah. We should talk more about, about fruit and, and vegetables and growing stuff. I'd like that. Yeah. I don't like vegetables, but I'll listen listen to stuff about them, I guess. <laughs> uh, find us on Twitter. Yeah. Iron Weeds Pod. Find us on Instagram. Iron Weeds Pod. Buy us a coffee. Iron Weeds. No Buy pod. me a coffee.com slash Iron Weeds. Yeah. There's no pod on that one. There's no pod on I should. I've been thinking about it. You know what? Maybe we'll switch it over. Do we yeah. want to hear some listener feedback? Should it be Iron Weeds Pod? I don't know. Anyway. Um, thanks so much, guys. Yeah. And well, I hope uh, you find a nice fruiting tree in your near future. You know, sit sit under and, and munch on. Go apple picking. Yeah. Apple picking is so wholesome and so fun. And if you go to Indian Ladder Farms, you can even get drunk and then go apple picking and yeah, then come rules. back and get more drunk. Yeah. yeah place rules. Nothing like getting drunk, going out into a, a field, beating sun down beating on you. Beating sun. And then you carry around some heavy bushels of apples that's why it's, it's fun to do in the fall yeah Get a couple yeah. of growlers of uh, yeah. hard apple cider yeah they do make a really good uh what was it like a pickle goza oh, oh pickle, my God. pickle cider oh pickle it was cider very goza. good yeah yeah, oh. yeah. And, and just for the record iron reed's pod is not um being sponsored by indian ladder farm but we'd be willing to have a conversation we'd take your money yeah yeah same goes for you albany distilling company i love your iron weeds whiskey yeah. iron weeds whiskey is delicious yeah yeah so you can send your um, checks to Soros Foundation. P.O. Box 69420. <laughs> Troy, New York. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks All right. so much. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye. Right, peace.